You are now listening to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeyman, amplifying the voices of youth development and modern rites of passage. Hello and welcome to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeyman. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm Nikki. And today we're excited to welcome Ashanti Branch, Executive Director of the Ever Forward Club from Oakland. Welcome, Ashanti. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. So, Ashanti, for those of our listeners that have not heard about the Ever Forward Club, we'd love to hear you just tell us a bit about your organization down in Oakland. Yeah, so um, I'm Ashanti Branch. I'm born and raised here in Oakland, California. Uh, I was raised by a single mother. Um, We were on welfare growing up. Um, I never wanted to work in education. You know, when I got clear about the career I wanted, I was going to be an engineer, make a lot of money. Um, and I, when I finally got my act together in middle school, because a teacher really saw enough of me to like pull me aside. And she told me, look, she said, you know, life doesn't give you what you want. Life gives you what you get and you got to make the most out of it. And I heard it and that changed my life. And, um, I was really angry at that age in middle school. I was, my father had died before I was born, so I was dealing with a lot of father wound issues. And so when I – something inside of me said you should become a teacher, I was, like, confused because I was clear that teachers didn't make money. And I was like, look, I, I already done my poor time on earth. Um, I'm going to make some money. So they said there's a formula. You go to college, you get a good job, make a lot of money, live happily ever after. So I heard engineers make good money. I like math. I'm like, let's do it. And so after graduating as an engineer, I became, uh, you know, college graduate and making money. And I realized I wasn't as happy as I thought I was supposed to be. You know, the work was fun. I could do the work. I was really enjoying the money. But deep down, I was like, this is all the fulfillment you're going to feel in life? Like, is is that it, you know? And teaching called me. And so I started the Ever Forward Club because I was a first-year teacher and I was doing a horrible job. There were young men in my class who were super smart. And they were failing my class. I'm like, look, I'm here for you. I'm not here for this money. So, like, look, let me let's figure this thing out together. And I realized that in a classroom setting, there was only so much I could do to really build a relationship with them. So I invited some young men to lunch. I said, listen, I'll buy you lunch in exchange for lunch. I want you to teach me how to be a better teacher. And that was what the premise was. Like, I'm doing something wrong because I think I'm smart. I mean, I, I know I'm smart, actually. You know, I'm an engineer, and I'm trying to teach you math. I, I love math. I'm teaching you something I love, and somehow it's not working. So tell me what I'm doing wrong so I can fix it. And what I learned from them was that, um, you know, they didn't believe that smart was cool. Smart doesn't equal cool at this school. So they acted in ways so nobody realized they were how smart they were because the kids who got respect were the kids with a lot of muscles and athleticism and money and cool shoes or cool clothes, right? It wasn't the kid who was getting a 4.0. That kid, people didn't even know his name. You know what I'm saying? They just have to know how much of a nerd he was, right? Because that wasn't considered cool at that school we were, I was at. And so that's how Ever Forward Club started. I was trying to just help some kids pass algebra. And what I realized in those meetings was that those young men did not have a space to talk about what was going on in their life. 
not without feeling shamed about it, not without feeling ridiculed about it, not without feeling like there's something anomaly, there's something wrong with them. And so we began to build Ever Forward as a space where they could come together, speak their truth, and know that together as a brotherhood connected, we can help you, we can help each other. We're not here to fix you. We're just here to provide space for you so that you can do some of the work that you do so you can grow and be who you want to be. And once you're clear about who you want to be in the future, you're unstoppable. But you first got to first decide who that is you want to, what is something you want to do. Maybe you don't know who you want to be, but you say, I want to do this. Or maybe you're not sure of any of those things. Well, let's just kind of like do the best we can every day. And on the outside, I can, you can tell me you're doing your best, but I'm looking at you and I can, I can sense that you can do more. I can sense you can work harder. I can sense that you can strive a little bit bigger. And so how do you help like push them in a way that helps them also see more in themselves? Mm-hmm. And so that's how the Ever Forward Club started. Um, that was 2004. We're about to hit our 15-year anniversary, and um, it's grown a lot since then. Right now, from just being the club at one high school, we, are, we have three programs, which is now the Ever Forward Club for young men, middle school, and high school. Ever for professional development for teachers, parents, social workers, sometimes some corporate clients bring us in for professional development and ever forward experiences, which includes the taking off the mass workshop. So that's how that's the kind of the big story of ever forward. Shanti, can I ask you a follow up question on that, that yeah. kind of that trade? Like I'll buy you lunch. Can you remind me like I'll buy you lunch once a week and and, you know, using that angle for me, like I, I just love these creative ways to recognize that. You know, getting young folks, especially, but uh, boys and young men, to show up and, and get in the room isn't always easy. And so, tell me about that decision. Tell me about how you're able to kind of, you know, get folks in the room and get some traction and, and get some engagement with that. Oh yeah, well I, well, I knew that. You know, what I did when I first started. This is like 2004, mind you. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like feeling like I'm not doing a good job. But there's a group of young men who I was really like, who I've been watching and really just trying to connect with them and realizing that no one had caught them. No one had saw enough in them that recognized how brilliant they were. So they had never allowed it to be seen in their own self. So I was like, well, i got to invite them to a lunch. I thought food would be a good way of getting their attention, you know? Yeah. So it was around, like, let's have food together, right? And they and they always prefer to have some other food than what's in the cafeteria. So I said, look, I sent a letter to their classes. It was like, it was. I sent up, like, trying to be as you know, official as possible. I sent them a letter to their classes. They said, you're invited to be a part of this new organization starting. So it was a journey of like building out that, that first experience for them. I was thinking about the user experience before people were really talking about user experiences, right. you know? Yep. And that's how it happened. It was just the building them, getting them to the room was the first step. I didn't know that they were going to be willing to join or stay a part of it. I knew that I can get them to come to one lunch easy. But to say I want you to come to lunch every week, yeah, that began that I didn't know what I was asking them, but I knew what I needed from them, and then we started learning from it. Oh, you don't want to give up every lunch; you got things to do. But how about we just how about you just once a week? Like I'm asking you for just twenty percent of the week, right? Mm-hmm. And try to help them see like I am actually sacrifice hanging out with your friend one day a week. I am, but I'm also I'm, I'm giving you something in return. I'm, I'm from you know so like how do I make it a win win? Right? It's not just like here, give up all your time and there's nothing in return. I tried to make it at least worth their time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I hear yeah. the need for balance too. Like, you know, we can't just ask, ask, ask. They got, this is like, especially at high school and middle school, this is their social hour. I mean, these these young folks don't get recess anymore. It's like, am I going to ask you to give up every single one of those? No. 
And then as we're learning too, like we got to have that balance too. Like if we're if we're providing, we're providing, we're providing. Like we also want some buy-in. And so you know, one of the things I think the lessons for me this year has been how to how to you know offer and provide like opportunities, snacks, like all these things, right? And then also provide an opportunity for these young men to step up and be like, all right, cool. Like I'm actually going to go out of my way for this group. I'm going to show up and, and do something in service and something that really serves the rest of the folks here. Uh, which is a stretch for a lot of these guys. I mean, uh, not always easy to provide an opportunity, but then help them follow through on something like not directly related to their own self-service. Mm, yes, yeah, absolutely. And especially when it's like they they can do something else, right? It's like it's like it's different when you. If I was your teacher, and I'm saying you have to come to attention, that's that's one form of making you do something. But getting you to come to something that you have the option of not coming to that's when you kind of really begin to have to learn some really important leadership qualities and, and also engagement practices, right? No one wants to come to something that's boring, right? So how do you make it meaningful for them and and meaningful for you? Because you don't want to be sitting and doing something that after a while you're like, this is this is, this is not as whack, you know? So we try and like keep it engaging and, and so that they can feel like, okay, this is meaningful to me. You know, I'm learning something. I'm building up a community. I'm I'm getting something that other people aren't getting. It's kind of like creating some ex- exclusivity to it as well. Because I think that, you know, like I think sometimes young men would want to be hanging out with their friends. Mm-hmm. And my job is to be like, hey, you didn't come to the meeting today. What happened? Oh, and they would come up with some stories. And I'm like, but you made a commitment to join the club. So, like, you, you don't you don't just not show up, you know? Like, I think it's like also how you get to a place of where you, you pour enough into them where you can hold them accountable. Yep. I think sometimes young men... They, they, they want to be respected as men, mm-hmm. but they don't want the re- accountability part of that, right? Like, I think sometimes they just never have had it. Like, I didn't grow up with a man in my house, so there was never anybody holding me accountable. So to have somebody trying to hold me accountable to my bird, it, it can feel awkward if no one's ever done it, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just saying you gave your word. Mm-hmm. And so as a young man growing up, like, what are you more than your word? If I can't trust that you tell me something and that's the truth. And that's what's going to happen. And what do I tell me what I can take from you and learn. Right. And those are the things we're trying to learn from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ashanti, I feel like you touched on something very important there. You mentioned how it's tough to hold people accountable, especially these young guys, these teenagers, if we haven't put in the time to nourish our relationship together. And, you know, as a teacher and mentor and journeyman, I have found that if we try and lay down the law or hold people accountable in any way, but haven't taken the time to truly get to know them, that it typically just blows up right in our face. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And teachers do it all the time. And you imagine that's why a lot of teachers have little success in their classroom and they wonder why their classroom management is so out of pocket because they are trying to operate on a, on a, uh, or like a how do one, what word do I want to say? They they use uh, their classroom as a you do this, I do this, and there's no relationship. It's like it's kind of like a, just an exchange of I'm here to pour information into you, you're here to regurgitate the information back to me, and then that's it, right? And so for teachers who lack relationship skills, it makes it even harder, right? And so when we come, maybe if you visited a classroom before, you walk in, you like. What is wrong with this teacher? Why are all these? Why why is there a battle with everybody? Right? And you realize there's no relationships there. Yeah. It's just like you're a student of science. Do science. Don't be anything else but the science student. And and I, and I don't think all of our students have skills of being able to say, okay, 
now I'm going to be a science student, you know? Yeah. I got a question for you, Ashani. This, yeah. uh, this comes from something I heard you say, too, which I think is our duty as, as mentors and as folks who are creating spaces for youth. Um, but I heard you say we got to keep it meaningful, right? No one wants to go anything that's boring. And sometimes, you know, I, I wonder about, you know, the, uh, the ways in which we can keep it, you know, keep it like mixed up, keep it fresh and also hold like traditions. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to any like, like core traditions or rituals that you have and ever forward and how do you keep it fresh? Like, how do you make it so it doesn't get stale and boring? Like, how do you keep folks feeling like it's it's actually meaningful for them? Yeah, you know, in the early days of Ever Forward, I didn't I didn't have a vision around that because I think I was we, we were meeting at lunchtime, so it was basically like I got time, I got food coming in, you got time to eat, you got time to do a check in, and then we're pretty much on the way out the door, right? So my job was to really like laser focus everything, right? Don't waste time outside hanging out with your friends and then come to the meeting. Come here right away so we can eat and then we can get into our meeting. And so I think what I had to do early on was like, this is an opportunity for us to build connection quick. And so it was kind of like speed dating, right? It was like, you come in, everyone goes around the circle, check in on a scale from one to 10, how you doing, what's going on, what's the highs and lows, where do you need support, where do you want support, where do you want people, like, like where do you want to be held accountable, what do you think? I think what we had to realize in those early days was that I didn't know what I was doing. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a curriculum. There was just Ashanti, this teacher, who has these young men come into lunch every week, and we're talking about real stuff. And so I think what I wasn't trying to do, I wasn't trying to impress them. I wasn't trying to, like, create something that was super, like, fancy or fresh. It was just like, can we talk about some real talk today? Because that's what it's about. It's like, if I can get a, a one day a week where I can talk about what's really going on in my life, and no one's judging me, and no one's like looking down on me. And then I can find maybe somebody in the circle who I can check in with over the week to call me or I can call them. Like, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to do like, I was matchmaking brothers in that place, right? Like, if you, you may have a five, you may have a, a blood brother in your house, but you have no relationship with them. In this space, we're, we're creating brotherhood that's about something you're going to get something out of. And so I think what I'll try and do, I think now, I think by before now is different because we've grown and we have a little curriculum we created and, we have these things that sometimes I tell mentors, listen, the curriculum is secondary. Mm-hmm. The main part of our work with young men is the check-ins. If something comes up in check-ins that needs to have the attention, throw the curriculum away. Because how naive of me to believe that my lesson plan for the day is so much more important than what you just told me is more important to you. And so for I, for us, it's like the curriculum is a guide. It's there it can be used not, or it can be used fully. And if the young men during the check-ins are saying, hey, I'm going through this thing, I'm struggling, and we're just like, oh, thank you for telling me all that stuff. Let's pull out page number 12. We're doing page 12. <laughs> like, how, how how real is that, right? That's just manufactured, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, also, I think, um, yeah, so I think with, with that, keeping it fresh, the last thing I'll say about this is, what I found early on, young men, when they would, a young man would be like, yeah, I don't want to come because it's, it's boring. And I'm like, well, what's boring? Right. Like what's boring of people speaking their truth. And so I think that one thing that has to be careful for the young men is that when they use that word, sometimes they don't really know what it means. Right. I'm not saying they don't know what it means. They have a meaning of what it means to them, because if something doesn't all of a sudden is not jumping out the page at you, it's like, 
hey, I'm dancing, or like, hey, I'm like, I got something I'm going to entertain you. This is not a time for entertainment. Mm-hmm. You got plenty of time to go get entertained. How about we have a time where we can talk about the hard, ugly, dirty, dark, sometimes complicated truth of our lives that's not entertaining, mm-hmm. that, that sometimes feels uncomfortable. And so you want to leave because it's uncomfortable, not because it's not good for you, right? And I think helping young men, when we've had young men who, you know, in the early days were like, yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm, um, it's, a, it's a little bit too deep, you know? It's like, so you're going to wait till you're 25 and then try and figure it out by yourself? You know, it's like, hey, you know, you don't want anybody to ever leave, and we know that everything's not for everybody. And so it's like that balance between when young men decide that they've had enough, it's like, well, tell me what it's really about, because I want to know to grow so I can make the program better. Yeah. Tell me what, what is the reason that you deciding that this is not for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes it's just because if you've never had people ask you questions about yourself, that can be pretty um, shocking to your system, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like somebody's yeah. really concerned, genuinely concerned. When you say something, they're, they're hearing what you're not saying, too. Yeah. Somebody's really listening to you. You can say a whole bunch of stuff, but they're going to see way past the words. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we try and do with the young men. And so, uh, yeah, so I think it's like keeping it exciting, but also keeping it really real. Like this is not a place to entertain you. Uh, this is not a movie theater. This is not a this is not a show. This is not a reality. You know, it's TV cre- thing we're creating. We're creating stuff about our lives that have serious implications on our future, and um, we've got to have good ways of talking about it. So, yeah. Yeah, that that really speaks to me because, I mean, I think about what we're competing with. I mean, think about in the age of mobile devices and and instant unlimited entertainment at the touch of a thumb it's like the word that's coming up for me is like entertainment like it's this is the attainment that comes from inside and it's hard to compete with snapchat you know it's hard to compete with all of that distracting you know content and and media that's floating all around and yet something that's proving true for me is like when times get hard that's i think that's when young folks are like okay now i need that and I think it's when times aren't so hard when I, I find it a little more challenging to convey the importance of having these spaces. It's like, yeah, when things are looking up and you, you know, you've got a big friend group and got some money in your pocket and all these things, it, it, it's hard to compete with that. And the challenge is like if we don't, you know, honor these rituals and, and get practice with it, we can't just show up, you know, when things are crumbling and expect it to flow well. It really, for me, it really like it really requires that we just kind of consistently chip away at it and show up. And because as I'm learning, like not every day is about me, not every day is about any one person, but somebody in that room needs the group. There's somebody in there who needs that space. And and when it's your turn, is anyone going to be there? You know, is there going to be a group that day? That's uh-huh. right. Right. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And that's what we. That's why my on my main, my own men's team we talk about that. Like sometimes. I'm there because I need the circle. And sometimes I'm there because the circle needs me. And I need to be understanding that, you know, if everything's going really well in my life, then I need to be there to support other people who are not maybe doing so well in their lives at the moment. And I think this idea is about this idea of, when I use the word selfish, I want to be really careful about it. But I also like, yeah, we should be mindful of our own self and what we what our own needs are. Um, but if we do that only and we're talking about trying to build a brotherhood, then it's not real. Like, the idea of being a part of a brotherhood means that I'm here to give and to be received mutually, you know? Yeah. I'm only trying to look for what I can get out of it 
and I'm 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 basically taking advantage of it in in the worst meaning of taking advantage of something, you know? Totally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You know, along that similar thread, Ashanti, you mentioned how a lot of the guys might have gotten turned off by the fact that they were uncomfortable, things like that. Uh, you know, similar to entertainment, I feel like we live in a culture where we are conditioned to stay in our comfort zone in so many different ways, and yet uh, we feel at Journeyman, and I imagine that you might feel similarly, that most of the growth that happens in our lives is in those moments when we're uncomfortable. Um, talking about uncomfortable topics, you know, opening up, opening up in ways that we haven't done before with new people. Uh, and so I'm curious for some of our listeners who might be parents or teachers, coaches or mentors who are struggling to get the young people in their lives to open up or to express themselves authentically, like what, what advice would you share with our listeners to help them connect with the youth in their lives in a more authentic and perhaps vulnerable way? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I talk to educators about this a lot and parents, and I say to them, probably important that you use your ears and your mouth in the ratio that they were given to you. So it probably means you should probably listen twice as much as you talk. And I think that oftentimes we go into this process where we're like, you know, adults, we got a lot of advice and a lot of ideas, and we're, we need to be asking more questions. I think I heard one professor say, um, we need to be more interested than we are trying to be interesting. Mm. And I think that what happens oftentimes is we want to be interesting. So we say, we talk, do a whole lot of stuff, we say a lot of words, and we do less being interested. And I think our young people today, they need to know that we're interested in them. And I think what happens with social media, and I think, I was thinking about this the other day, I was writing a little, a little piece and I was talking about this idea of dopamine, right? It's like, that's the, the drug that kicks in when you get a like on one of your pictures or you see that little red little button pop up and it's like, oh, I got some new followers and you're like, oh my God, right? You get fired up, right? <laughs> I didn't even know what that little thing meant. And when I found out, I realized how powerful these machines are. Now I'm, a, I'm an adult. I've been, I didn't have social, I didn't have to computers when I was younger. So I'm in a different world, but I do know when I when I when I first opened my Instagram up after I learned about that button, and I didn't see the little red thing pop up, I was I had something. I was in my feelings. I was like, "What you mean? No one's no one's liked my stuff since the last time I opened up the app. What's wrong with this?" And I was like, "Oh my God, they got me! Mm-hmm. They got me!" Like, and, you, and it's a reason these organizations are billionaires. There's a reason the founders are billionaires. There's a reason that they have so much power in our in the minds of our youth is because they're fighting for attention. And what we the commodity that's so misused today is the understanding of that our young people we're fighting for their attention. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not I don't think I can have enough I don't know how many experiences I can give you that gives you the same high you get when you open that app and you're like oh I got a bunch of new likes and like that's a that's a chemical reaction, right? Mm-hmm. And if I bring you to a place that we're sitting kind of quiet. We're talking about some deep stuff. That doesn't feel like dopamine mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the raw sense of it. I think deep down is helping to build some connection with these young men. And But it's, it's a different feeling of affirmation. And how do we help them know that affirmations can look a lot of different ways, but also that they're important. And we, it's important for us to hear from them, right? It's important for us to hear their voice and tell us what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And I think... 
that, that's what we tell parents and teachers all the time is that can we care a little bit more? Can we, you know, with parents, I think parents, they do the best job to have their kids not go through the same challenges they went through when they were younger, maybe. And sometimes at the detriment of helping the kid learn that sometimes it's just tough to go through the challenging times, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really incredible question. I think when I think of like, how do we help young people to know that this part of their of their journey of life is like figuring out these day-to-day issues and challenges that come up. I, I think our role in, in, as mentors, at least me and my organization, is like, how do we help the people around that young person also recognize they have a role to play? Mm-hmm. And like, when a student becomes a teenager, you know, you, you hear parents say all the time, he's like, I don't even recognize him anymore, right? And so they're still used to their little boy who told them everything. And now he's like 15, he doesn't tell you nothing. Mm-hmm. I, Good morning, or you know, I'm out of here, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that they lose that connection, they begin to back off themselves. Sometimes parents yep. unintentionally they back off, and so the student students backing off, the parent is backing off, and then no one's coming together. No one's coming together. And so I think of a lot of it is like parents asking more questions, teachers being more concerned. Like my students would be like, often, why are y'all in my business? I'm like, oh, I'm just curious, right? It wasn't my business. It was that I was asking them. What happened? Like, oh, you didn't do your homework. What happened? Mm-hmm. Just didn't do it. Well, I mean, what happened? Did you not have a space to do it? Did you, right? And they're like, they're feeling the pressure of me asking them about their life. But I'm I'm more concerned. Forget the homework assignment. What's in the way of you getting to do the work that that you have to do? Like, at least as a student, that's your job as a student, to do homework, right? For the most part, right? Mm-hmm. But if I know more about you, if I know that there's something getting in the way of you doing homework, and I can I can I can work with you and I can work around it. So anyway, th- those are just some things that I, I try and talk to parents and teachers about, and definitely you know even the young men themselves. You know when they go into their little put the earphones in, zone out to the world. Like I say, hey, where are you at right now? They're like, huh, huh? Where, where are you right now? Like, tell me where you at. Mm-hmm. Listen to some song. What song are you listening to? And I try and get a little bit more knowledge about where they at, right? Because I I I, I want to be right. We're in the same room together. And we're not even communicating. You're on that. I'm, I'm over here. Well, I mean, even like the fact that young people will walk up to you with earphones in your ear and you're trying to talk to them. They're like, oh, it's not on. I'm like, well, just pretend, just humor me and take it out while I'm talking to you. Because yep. I don't know if it's not on, but I'm looking at you and we're trying to have a conversation and I'm looking at you with earphones in. I'm like, can you even hear what I'm saying to you? They're like, oh, yeah, it's not on. I'm like, well, can you just take it out? You know, <laughs> how about you take it out for me? Right? You know? <laughs> and so I know that that's their world. And so my job is not to try and like, it's like, hey, I, can we meet in the middle somewhere? Right. Because yeah. I, I get it. That that's something that's so important to you. And I think that we got to help them use it in a healthy, in a very healthy way. You know, I love that. So that's it. That's the thread that I wanted to pick up. We, we just had a, a parent reach out to us who, uh, you know, they, they have a child at one of the schools we work at. And um, their concern was that, you know, the school doesn't have a policy against you know, students wearing earbuds during the day and they can just kind of be checked out. Like they can just be, you know, in that space all day at school. And most of the teachers during class will definitely have them taken out. But in the halls and at lunch and all that stuff, they were just concerned about that. And just like you just, what I just heard you say is we got to find a balance there and, and maybe help them use technology in a good way, use these tools in a, in a better way. Um, I'm wondering if you have any like creative ideas around that because, you know, I personally feel like, you know, technology has so much to offer. You know, these tools that we're presented with can be empowering. They can make connections, you know, for young entrepreneurs. Like I teach an entrepreneurship class. So I really am passionate about 
you know, teaching folks how to send a good email, you know, like how do you write a subject line? All this stuff is so crucial. And yet on the flip side, like I look at how young folks are using Snapchat and how much time folks are playing Fortnite and these video games and they're not being used as tools. They're being used as, I'll call them a weapon. They're being used as, um, you know, ways to kind of take us out of the world instead of get us deeper into the world and, and, uh, you know, anchor us into a good, a good path. So I'm just curious, like, like how does technology kind of show up in your groups? Like how have you been able to, to meet youth where they are and, and actually, you know, kind of, uh, aside from shaming them for using technology, but you know, how do you, how do you approach that in your group? Man, man. So listen, this is, so now that I'm in the phase of like, I am the, um, like I'm, I'm in the executive director. So I, I don't have a circle that I sit with regularly right now. So my young people are, um, so since I don't have a club that I necessarily mentor, I visit a lot of different clubs, you know? Yep. And so one of the things that I, I've come to understand is that like, I don't think that they recognize how much um, that the, the brain begins to disconnect from what's happening, even in like, oh, I'm just checking to see who that is, right? It's like, oh, I just lifted it out just to see what that was from. And it's kind of like, you wonder, it, it, it's drugs. It's just drugs. <laughs> it's drugs. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's like, look, if, if I feel my, my phone vibrate in my pocket, I can be like, I'll check it later. But I've seen young people almost lose their mind when I, when I like, I can recognize they're about to go in their pocket and I'll be like, hey, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. And you know what they're trying to do every moment after I say that? Sweet. They're trying to wait till I turn around so they can lift out to see who's trying to get their attention. Yeah. And it's this, and I think it, it, it's it's really interesting, but it's also like, wow, it's like that that power, the draw on that, the draw on that. Um, what we say is, look, like, unless you're a doctor and you expect to have to go deliver a baby in the next, you know, 20, 30 minutes that we're together, Keep your phones away. If you got an emergency, you know. I think some young people are like, oh, I'm with my mom, right? I'm like, listen, your mom know where you at. You're here every week from 3.30 to 4.30. Why are we tripping, right? Now, if your mom got an emergency, she can call me and she can call. Right? So I think it's like sometimes just trying to find some creative ways around that, but also like hold them accountable to the truth, right? It's like, look, do you really need it right now? Like, what What is it about what you are looking at that you need to have in one hour. And I think it's like helping them understand the power of addiction, right? Yeah. I, there's nothing else you can help a young person recognize than you just explain to them what you see in the in experience. If if that thing rings and you don't have the power to say, I don't even have to check it, I can, it's, it's no big deal. Then what has happened is that, that, that feeling of the vibration in your pocket or whatever has now told you that you must respond. And I think that all we can do is help them more get educated about what is happening and what the people who are the billionaire owners of these companies are doing to them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's helping them just get understanding of, of, of more control. It's, it's that self-control too, right? Yep. It's about self-control. It's like my friends are like, hey, let's go do this thing. And you say, nah, I don't want to do it. That's, a, that's one answer. Yep. But what if you don't have the self-control? So you're like, well, they're inviting me to something, so I have to go. Oh, they offered me this thing to smoke or drink or do, and I have to do it because they offered it to me. The same thing, like with you checking that phone. It's like, what what are the what, what are your boundaries around what you what you make a decision to do and what you let automatically drive you? You know, yeah. I think sometimes they don't even know they're checking the phone while a person is talking. Or I had a young man the other day. We went to a conference in Washington D.C. Let me just tell you how how much I had to restrain myself. <laughs> so 
there, there's, there's a keynote going on, right? There's a keynote going on. And I think I hear some talking, but it's not like a conversation talking. It's kind of like, and I'm like, he talking to himself? And as I get a little bit more close to like kind of look at what's happening, he is on freaking FaceTime talking to somebody while the keynote person is on stage. I'm like, you are not having a conversation with oh, oh. It took everything in me to restrain myself because I was like, put that phone away. And he was like, all right, I'll talk to you later. And he's like, not even his mouth. It's, like, it's amazing how amazing that <laughs> you are literally talking on the phone in a conversation. While... <laughs> I've never seen anything like that in my life. That's a movie right there. So all I know is that I can. So now when I talk, I hear people like having little murmurs in their mouth when they're talking. I'm like, who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? <laughs> yep. Off the phone, right? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, that that's just what's happening. And so it's it's not really about me. It's me trying to be creative and also just be education. How do you have education guide what's happening? And I think what they do is they spend so much. They I said, why don't you come up with a billion dollar idea? Because all you do right now is just help pay these billionaires. How about you come up with an idea that's going to help change the world? You know, I think like you know, I, I try to just use that because I, 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 I'm not going to fight them. Yeah. I'm not going to fight. Them. It's not worth the fight. But it is worth the conversation. It is worth the interesting part about. Well, if you can't stop that, then can you stop other things that you that you get hooked on? Mm-hmm. Right. It's like those are those are just chemicals that are reacting in your body to say, I want more of this. I want to know who wants my attention. I'm hungry for who who cares about me, who's sending me a message. So anyway, there's a, there's a lot we can go deep on that, but I tell you, it's it's really important. And I think when students are like, it's like two, you know, one ten o'clock in the morning, they're in class. You're like, who do you need to be talking to at ten o'clock in the morning? Mm-hmm. Why aren't the people who you know know not to text you during the the morning time, right? But also, it's a part of their side. It's like I I don't need to respond to it just because I got the message, you know? Yep. Yeah. Thank you for that. I love that story too. That's I think that sums it up well. Just <laughs> middle of the keynote, like, are you serious right now? You having a conversation? It, it was hilarious. It was like I, I laughed because I was like, I didn't expect that. That was what I was seeing. I was like, why is he really talking to himself? Yeah, why is he mumbling, you know? But it was he was having a phone conversation. Oh, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I sense that's an issue that we're going to be continuing to navigate as we do this work with young people ongoing. You know, I just this morning I was actually reading an article that had uh, identified an increase in anxiety and depression in teenagers from uh, they did a study between 2010 and 2015. And the increase in anxiety, depression, suicide attempts, specifically between 13 to 18-year-olds, was dramatic. It was 30% increase in most of those categories. And the article went on to talk about how they believe the, the number one issue is, is smartphones and how majority of teenagers these days have access to smartphones, which before 2010, that wasn't really the case. So... Yeah, I think it's going to be something that's ever-present in the Ever Forward Club and in Journeymen and in work around the country with youth and young people. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, think that we, it's an, I think it's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity if we can get creative on how do we help other people in this work to, um, to, to, to have conversations about it that are not, like, shaming, right? 
Yeah. To have conversations about that are uplifting and empowering and also saying, hey, there's a time for it and a time not for it. Hey, you want to use your phone? No problem. But in this space, we don't use our phone. And that's respectful to each person, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that th- those are huge. And I think if your if your joy and your happiness comes at the at the button of people liking or caring about your stuff, you are going to find challenges in your, in your uh, going forward. I think that that's important. So I think that for, I've heard young people in my car, you know, going somewhere having conversations like, "Dude, why you don't like my thing?" And then they're like, "Oh, I don't know." And then, "Okay, go like that." And then, then you go to their page. There's this new, there's this new theory, and you can talk to some of your young people, and ask them. I don't know how it is in Washington, but I know how it is here. Like, there's only nine pictures on their whole Instagram. I'm like, where's all your other stuff? Oh man, I can't be keeping those up there. Those those didn't have enough likes. Yep. What? What yep. are you talking about? <laughs> like, you mean you deleted anything that didn't have a certain? Oh my goodness, right? Like that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That that's hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm perfectly curating my life. So when you go to my page, you see how popular I am and how much people like my stuff. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm it, it's it is new. I mean, I was like, huh? Like, oh, I couldn't keep those old pictures. I was a young kid back then. Yeah, you were a young kid back then. Why are you tripping about? That, that was your life. Yeah. It's got to be so well, yeah. polished. I mean, I, adults, I'll, I'll be honest, I do it too. It's like the social media parts of our life. It's supposed to be the prettiest, supposed to be when we're at our best. And it's, I mean, obviously it's not the whole truth, but that's what the picture that we paint. You know, and yeah. I heard a quote recently and I don't, I don't, I, I usually am better about honoring my sources with this kind of stuff, but I will say like in a world where like, I think it's like we, you know, we live in a time where young people are craving for 500 likes or 500,000 views on a YouTube video, but what they really need is to be truly seen by five people in their village. And yeah. that drive to get those surface level likes, like, oh, I need so much acknowledgement in the digital space, you know, 50 yeah. isn't enough. I need, I need more. I need that quantity. And I think it's because that quality is so lacking. You know, that quality is someone who can sit next to you and they don't even need to ask a question. They can just see right through and they just know. They know what's going on. And without that, I think young people are driven. They're just driven to try to fill that void with, you know, wh- what we're just talking about, right? Which is that that social, digital, surface level acknowledgement of, yeah, all my photos on Instagram got 100 plus likes, but that's because I had to delete the other thousand that didn't make the cut. <laughs> wow, wow. But I think that you know we what we what we know is that the more we can get the young people to start talking about it, we can like sit them down and say, "Hey, tell, help me understand." Because if I can help create some understanding for other young people, then you know I, I want to learn from the young people, right? Because I don't expect to understand. I don't expect I didn't grow up in that world, so I can, I can do without it, right? Um, although I appreciate it, I love my I love my phone. I love I love having Instagram, but I think also I have I use it with uh, a level of understanding that. All right, no problem, right? Like that's just the, that's just how it's rolling, right? And I think that um, how do we get into a place where we help the uh, the adults who don't get it, right? There's some adults out there who can't <laughs> this conversation right now, yeah, because they would be they would be yelling and mad, and um, that's unacceptable. It's like, listen, this is a new world today. You know what I'm saying? There's no Dewey Decimal System anymore. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You may want to go back. We're not going back. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And I prefer not to be back in the Dewey Decimal System, by the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, 
<laughs> do you all even know what the decimal system is? I do, yeah, for me, yeah, Alex and I are both 30. We were right on the cusp. I remember being at elementary school and having to use it in the library to look everything up, being like, what is this? Well, hey, Ashanti, there is a, a thread that you brought up a little bit ago that I would love to explore, and it was around boundaries. Uh, knowing that your organization and Journeymen both specifically work with boys, teen boys, and in the in the wake of Me Too movement, uh, I would love to just hear a bit about how you are navigating those topics of boundaries and consent with your young men uh, down there in the Ever Forward Club. Yeah, that's that's great. You know, we just um, did a workshop with a school um, in San Francisco about this topic around consent around boundaries and around um respect you know and i think that one of the things that we talked about in that workshop was that um boundaries are like these guardrails of your life right it's like okay there are certain things that there's certain when you're on a freeway if you're driving like there's a there's a guardrail on the side to hopefully keep you from going over the side right and if you don't pay attention to it we've seen people unfortunately make bad moves or, you know, fall asleep on the road and have kind of gone over the, the side, side, you know? Um, but the guardrail was there to protect them. And even though, and the guardrail can't do it without your your participation, you know? Um, and so what we talked about the young people about in this workshop was about, you know, what are your guardrails? What are your boundaries? Like, have you established your own personal boundaries of your own life? What are some things you say, you know what, I will not do that. Like, I, you know what? I'll go to a party. I'll hang out with some friends. I may have a beverage, but I'm not doing that. And if you're not clear about your boundaries, what I found with young people is that then your boundaries are at the at the moment or the moment by moment basis of what's happening in the space, right? If you haven't, you're not clear that I don't do this. Like I don't I don't do drugs. I was clear in my my boundary in high school was that I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I was clear. So my friends, they drank, they smoked. They know that they wanted to ride with me in my car. They couldn't have no alcohol in my car. They couldn't have me smoking in my car. I had clear rules because that's what my boundaries were. And, hey, you be mad. You can walk. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, I'm clear. But I'm not changing my boundaries because you don't want – you have different boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happens with a lot of young people, because they have not established their own personal boundaries, their guardrails, we call them, right, then, hey – Try this. Hey, it's going to be cool. You're going to make you feel good. You're like, what is it? You're like, is that like cake? If it's cake, I'll have it. <laughs> oh, you don't something else? No, nah, I'm, not, I'm not messing with it, you know? And I think that if you're not clear about your own boundaries, when people offer you stuff, you'll be like, oh, okay, maybe I'll try it. Maybe it'll be fun. And I think that that's what I find getting our young people in trouble. And that's not only just about substances. And that go to the deeper level about consent, right? So we talked about consent after that. If you're clear that when a person who I am want to be intimate with says no, that means no. I back off. I walk away. I may feel embarrassed. I may feel shame about it, but I leave it there. I think uh, what I found with some young people is that they have this idea that if at any point you told me that you were interested in having a relationship with me, and now we're in the moment, the heat of the moment, then you can't just say no. Mm-hmm. That's what some young people think. It's like, you, you you got me over here to this place, and now you want to say no. And I was like, but everyone has the right to change their mind. And I think what we have to help young people recognize is that they're not entitled to anybody else's body, anybody else's 
attention, anybody else. They're not entitled to anything but their own personal thoughts and your own freedom of speech, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that what we help the young people are going to say about this idea of consent is like, look, um, you have a responsibility to like, if you want to something from somebody, whether it's a touch, a hug, a kiss, like you need to ask. And you need to be clear that you have a clear answer. Mm-hmm. And I think th- this is hard. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's hard. I think a lot of our times our young men, definitely in this age of rapid fire pornography, they think that everything goes from start to finish in 35 seconds. It's like, oh, no, brother, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, you can't just scroll through the foreplay. Like, if the <laughs> touch me, you don't touch me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you know, I think that what happens is that their mind, they're, they're, sometimes their their attitudes about how it should work is 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 is, is warped mm-hmm. with, with the, the rapidness of what happens in, in the porn industry. And so I think for a lot of our young people, we're just trying to say, look, you got to be very thoughtful and mindful about being clear about your own boundaries and then also making sure that you have 100% clarity on consent. Because I think that sometimes our young uh, youngsters, and I'm not saying just only young men, but students, that's what we work with mostly, so I'm speaking in that context, that they sometimes are just confused. I think that... Um, we, we get to the nuance of like, you know, you're flirting, you all are touching, you're kissing, and then she's like, no, 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 and she's laughing. Now, the question is, what does that no, no, no with the laugh mean? Does that mean, like, I, and you at the moment, in the, in, the, in the fiery moment, have to be really clear that no matter if there's a laugh after the no, a no is a no. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes in their own idea of what it means to be pursuing they think that still means, oh, no, no, keep keep trying. And so if you're confused about what that definition means and you're embarrassed to talk about it because you think the way you talk about it is by in- initiating some touch, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's complicated for a lot of our young men, and I think that but they got to be really clear. And we tell them, look, look, your responsibility is to be, be clear about whether you're given permission to do something or not. One of the things that happens, I think a lot of young men, sexual – like sex ed, sex ed is not happening in the classroom. Yeah, it's happening on the internet for them, right? And a challenge for a lot of them is that, and for for adults, right, who are in this world, like you have this idea that um, here is how it's supposed to happen. Here's what I want to happen, and here is what's not. It's not happening the way I wanted it to happen. Yeah. It's not, the the relationship is not. It's not moving the way I want. And I think if we if we are so afraid of talking about it. We're so. I mean, that's one of the big jokes when they have movies, right? When a parent tries to approach their kid, talk about sex, they're like, uh, they're like, they're like awkward, right? If we can't even talk to our to each other about it, how do you expect to give young people and young men uh, tools when they already, lang- you know, language wise, communicate much less than than women, you know, on average, right? Mm-hmm. The average woman uses way more words a day than most most young men, right? But imagine if we don't even give them rooms and language of how to even talk about it, then I want to tell you something, but I don't know what to say, and so therefore I'll just go to say nothing, and therefore I'm confused and I'm, I'm, I'm in doubt. But you're smiling at me, so you must like me, and therefore <laughs> that's what I know, right? And so therefore I don't ask you to smile at me, so therefore I know that must mean you want me to touch your butt. And then you're like, what are you doing? Like, you know, oh, you smiled at me. <laughs> and so you don't have the language to like be able to say, "Hey, um, you know, I, I saw you looking at me. Is that you know, can we hang out? Can we go talk? Can we do whatever?" Right? I think it's just about building the opportunity for not only young men to have conversations, 
but having the courage to speak around those really sometimes hard topics. And so yeah. that's one of the things we're we're learning through. And you know, we continue. We have one of our young men, unfortunately, post a video of himself on online doing something, and I, we were like, I, I was I was absolutely blown away. I was blown away. And by the time I got to him, it was already deleted. But I was asking him, you know, and I, and you know, you can go to a place as a mentor, being like, "What's wrong with you? How dare you do something like that?" Right? But I was like, I just wanted to know. Tell me what you, what, what were you thinking? Like, what, what was your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Right? What was your thought that that? What made you think that was a good idea? Right? And it was, and for him, it was to prove that he wasn't gay. Oh wow! I had to prove all the young men in my community that I'm not gay. So therefore, watch me put a video of me doing something. So therefore, it's a proof. And it's like, wow, brother, you went through those lengths of not only disrespecting that woman, but also putting yourself in a very dangerous position of finding yourself locked away to prove to these other knuckleheads who could care less about you anyway. Yeah. That it, so I think that what happens is like sometimes the behaviors are not even um they don't match. They're not even matching what the, the desired result out of it is, right? Because they're not thinking clearly in a lot of ways. So we just try to have really good conversations. And I think that, you know, his parent, his mom, you know, the, the community and other people are going to, you know, berate and do that stuff. But our job is to help kind of get some understanding out of it so we can learn and help teach somebody else. Because if we don't get the lesson out of what you did wrong, we don't get the lesson, then we miss we miss an incredible opportunity of, of teaching the next generation, not even the next generation, the next grade level, yeah. <laughs> the, the middle schooler, right? Not even the next generation, like, oh, a kid one year younger than you who's now starting to be interested in girls and blah, blah, blah. And now how do we help him not make some of these same moves? And I think it's just like a, a new, a new, we're, 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 because we talked about social media earlier, whereas more lack of verbal communication, what we're talking about right now requires more verbal communication. Yeah. So everything, everything we're doing with these te- with technology is helping us to be more efficient about communicating, which means I don't need to talk to you. I just can just blah, blah, blah. And so, therefore, if we're not good with, with words, what happens when it requires me to ask you in front of you while I'm looking at you? Yep. Hey, can we, can, we, can we do this thing, you know? Yeah, these are face-to-face skills. I think I heard it from you, Alex, which is like nowadays, especially for young, young males, like their first 200 sexual experiences are with porn. So like, you know, their their whole like body physiology, the way they experience their brain chemicals and all that are all tied to the screen and tied to what they see happen in these porn films. And then to think about like, oh my gosh, could like how intimidating and hard must it be when you actually get in the moment and you're face to face with another human being and you're like, oh, this is nothing like what I've been practicing for, you know, like <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? I'm surprised it isn't worse, to be honest. I'm not saying it's good. It's yeah. I think it's bad. Like I think there's so much work to be done. But I'm also surprised it's not worse because I mean, let's face it, when you train yourself for something a couple hundred times and you get yourself into a scenario, like we know, like we tend to show up how we practice. I know that yeah. as an athlete. Like you, you play how you practice and these yeah. young guys are practicing for something that's never gonna happen and that personally I don't wanna see happen. I don't wanna see relationships built like that. Thank you for diving into that topic with us, Ashanti. It's something that's really close to our hearts here, and I can tell it's the same for you. And so important for us to be doing this work as men, mentoring the next generation of young men, uh, and knowing the role that we play in 
a patriarchal society that is swimming in misogyny. Um, so thank you for the work that you're doing down there. And and with that, Ashanti, uh, being mindful of our time together here this evening, I just want to know how can our listeners, how can our people from afar, you know, you're down in Oakland, we're up here near Seattle. How can how can people support your efforts at the Ever Forward Club or get involved if they're interested uh, in any capacity? Yeah, you know, the, the first thing we're learning right now as an organization is that there are many ways people can help. And whether that's with their, you know, their time, with their talents, or even with their, their treasure, even with their resources. And so what we would say is, you know, we have this campaign right now called the 100,000 Mask Challenge. Um, we ask any educators, any people who are working with young men in a mentoring setting to really reach out to us. They can go to the website, uh, 100kmasks.com, and that's a place where they can kind of see some masks we've collected from around the world. But I think what we're, what we're seeing with this campaign, and more than anything, we, we set a goal to collect 100,000 masks, but we, and we're about to hit a milestone. We're going to hit about 30,000 in the next couple of weeks. I'm really super excited. So before the end of the year, we're going to do a celebration of hitting this 30,000. But um, what I do want to say is that we want um, the community of people, of listeners, to say, look, you know what? There's some hard things going on out there. Like, we're dealing with some real stuff. And the mask that we find ourselves having to wear, what we can let people see about us, oftentimes only lets people see what things we choose to let them see. And so we create this anonymous tool so people could do it in a really anonymous way. So we ask people to get involved, do it with their family, do it with their friends, do it with their students, um, and give each other a chance to just kind of explore what mass they're having to live in. That's the that's, that's what we would say is our biggest ask right now, is that as we're moving through this campaign, that people who um, know people who are educators or teachers or community workers or work with young youth groups or adult groups or anyone – that they help us, you know, get the word out about this campaign. Um, and we're finding that when people recognize that, that they're not alone, that when they look at the mask of someone else or some other people and recognize, wait a minute, there's other people out there who are feeling what I'm feeling, why are they not talking about it? Well, because none of us are talking about it often. And if we can give each other the, safe, the safety of, like, this this tool, uh, I, I believe that it's going to absolutely can help transform people's experience. And what we're trying to do is, we're trying to just help transform the experience of our, of our young people and our adults. Mm. Um, and so that's the one way we would say people get involved. Like if, if they're on social media, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, um, at Ever Forward Club. All this, all, on the same, it's the same on all platforms, at Ever Forward Club altogether. And, um, you know, and if, and if anybody out there also has financial resources that they feel like they want to be a part of a movement that is not only – um, helping to transform lives of young people here in Oakland, but really working with people all over the world, um, here in the United States and other parts of the world as well, to get involved, to go to our website, everforwardclub.org, and just, you know, and support. You know, I mean, I think that I'm, I'm really bad about asking for help in that way, but I'm getting, I'm getting better at it, you know? It's like we, we, we can't do this work without it. And I've, and I've also come to a place of understanding what Ever Forward is, um, we don't we don't call ourselves we're a nonprofit anymore. We are legally a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization. But we we are telling people right now how we describe it. We're a social profit organization because hmm. we try and do is try and make a social change in our communities 
And I think sometimes people can get lost in the nuance of words. And I think that what we're trying to do is say every young person needs to be seen, wants to be heard, and wants to recognize how valuable they are. And the way we can do it is we can, you know, we can work you young men at a time here in the Bay Area. But as we begin to do the work, like partnering with you on this on this um, on this podcast as well, to you know talk to people in the world who will never ever maybe meet me, who, you know. And I think that's how we're going to be able to grow our work. So. Thank you for offering the opportunity to let people know what we're up to. And, you know, we look forward to people getting in touch with us, and, you know, on one of those platforms. Um, and thank you. And I'm looking forward to us getting our young men together at some point. You know, either we're going to take a train up north or you're going to take a train down south and we're going we're gonna to do something incredible in 2019. So um, keep, keep your ears out for ideas and opportunities for us to do that together, you know. Awesome. Yeah, some of those threads, you know, knowing that, one of our, I think one of our uh, core gifts as an organization is getting folks outside. And December is not the month to do it up here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when the, when the, when the weather changes, um, we do tons of stuff outdoors. We call them camps, quests, and courses. So whether it's multi-day stuff out in the backpacking and all that stuff, we'd be happy to host you and or some of your guys if you wanted to come up for something. And like you said, um, I think the more opportunities we get, especially for our guys here on Vashon, just to get out of our community and go and, and sit in circle and just experience uh, what life is like in other places, um, whether that's, you know, interculturally, but in the U.S. or, you know, I know you just got back from Nigeria, was it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these experiences are just so, so deeply rewarding for folks to go and, and recognize, you know, what is innately human? What are these shared experiences, no matter where we go across the world? You know, what are people struggling with? What are people caring? And also, what's unique about my home? What's unique about me? You know, what, what makes me me? What makes my culture what it is? And um, I, I know I can speak for Alex, too, but those experiences, getting out of our comfort zone, traveling and going and sitting, sharing space with folks who look, talk, eat, you know, do differently than us, it just uh, makes for such a rich experience. So um, you know that we'll be reaching out. We'll be trying to find those opportunities. And anytime you feel the call to come up, man, you're welcome. Fantastic. Thank you. I haven't been there before. So I'm looking forward to it. You've been listening to right ways radio hosted by journeyman. Thanks again for joining us. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes, Google play or stitcher radio. And remember to leave us your feedback and please give us a rating. Find us online at www.journeymen.us.